Welcome back, Ranch Nation, hanging out with you from one of the premier high school trade schools right here in the East Valley, the East Valley Institute of Technology. I'm Frank Lloyds, and of course, we got Greg Ovist of GsUp.com in studio. Always an honor to spend it with you, but first, we got to let the trumpets blow, baby. We're taking you on an automotive journey right here on Wrench Nation every week. We heard from you. You guys want to hear about the eclectic, the different, the modern day, but not forget the old school culture. And as I say old school culture, I got to bring in Mr. Greg Ovis with G's Up. Welcome, bud. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, it's always good to have you on. Of course, big shout outs to Susie Sockets. Again, she's not here. Yeah, we're, Susie mi- is we're co- missing her. We're just, uh, gosh, man, we're busy at the garage, and uh, when we when we have to, we, we she's got to run the store and and so on. And I've got some car tips for you, but first we got to bring in the show topic. Uh, we're gonna cue up some music, Miss Miss Breeze in studio. Bree, let's cue up some uh, Palmetti. I love the <laughs> I love the Eddie Palmetti. How about go. I tell you guys? You've seen him on the streets. You've checked it out. You you were in wonderment about how can they get the paint looking so good? How can they get the hydraulics bouncing just right? The art and style of the lowrider, baby. We're covering it deep. We're going back into history and are honored to have Mr. Richard Ochoa. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to chat with him. He's been doing this a long time. Long time. It's in his blood. It's Can't in wait. his veins. Uh, Lowriders uh, going way back. Right here, Phoenix Mesa, a local icon from going back to, well, dads. Let's bring down the music. Dad had, we're going to talk to Richard about this, going way back, uh, 1955, uh, in the 70s, with the Lowered Star Chief. And Richard's going to talk to us about that. But I want to speak to you individually. You go to car shows. You love your classics. You go to the Concours. Right. Yep. You love your attention to detail by a refined build, every nut and bolt. But how many of you have been to a Lolo Lowrider show? If you haven't been to a Lowrider show, you are missing out 100%. Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't know, Lowrider. Ranch Nation, they're impartial because they're in the business. But I will tell you something. The culture and vibe, the unity behind a lowrider build, and like all things automotive, it's a family affair. And please, uh, let's announce before we get into some news, we got an event coming up right here in Scottsdale. Greg, tell the people what's coming up. It's on October 2nd. It's at Westworld, and it's a lowrider show. And it's going to be a great event. It's at a great venue. Usually it's other locations in Mesa and Chandler and Glendale. Nothing against those venues. Not but at all. But this one in Westworld is just going to be top notch. So and, and we're going to be out there, Ranch Nation family. Spread the word. I want you guys to come out with us. Uh, Richard Ochoa is an icon in the industry. Uh, Lowrider Magazine and such has seen it. He's been around for inside of 40 years. Mm-hmm. And we're bringing it. And it's special because it is what is very important to be. If you own a Lowrider. You may want to gain some of those points. What's special about this uh, year's well, show? This one is sanctioned. Sanctioned. Big deal. It means it's a credible 
means you're going to get credit. Ouch. Legitimate. It's true. It's legitimate. We're going to talk to Richard more about that uh, and get into some of the deep vibe and culture, not only across the country and, of course, here locally, but, man, what a movement all over the world, people. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to chime in on is as I go through auctions and stuff through the years, you cannot knock the lowrider scene and all the Impalas that they've restored, they've saved, they've built. So the lowrider scene has kept more Impalas on the road than any other <laughs> hot rod show or, or, or scene like that. Yeah, I'm excited to have Richard on. Yeah. Um, I want to bring out some news here uh, in a minute, but I want to give you a quick tip, Ranch Nation quick tip. We try to bring you these. And, 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 and by the way, I, I don't study on these. These are active repairs happening in the garage. Ford Explorer, center vents don't work. You're in the heat, or for my family in Alaska, you need the heat. Bottom line is there's no volume of air from the center vents. Your defrost works magically. Well, I don't need defrost, please. (laughs) Your floor works magically. But I don't need floor. I need it where it counts. I want you to check uh, 2006-ish, 2010 Ford Explorers, the manual, not the automatic climate control, There is a vacuum line towards the passenger rear firewall. How about I tell you an easy fix, man? We're talking small plastic check valve. Is that behind the glove box? No, it does lead into the glove box. And there are some other things that it could be as well. But if you're prone to look at your Ford Explorer, anyone can do this. Right on that passenger firewall area, you'll see a little plastic spaghetti line. And it goes into a check valve. It may not even be connected to engine vacuum they operate off a vacuum something you can check and you know speaking of which many other platforms that are vacuum operated some of the old school vacuum operated unlike this new stuff that's on a controlled area network and you got to do all kinds of fancy schmancy and could cost buku money this is a simple fix so make sure if you've got mainly the manual controls Make sure that that vacuum line, A, is getting vacuumed to the engine. You may find that it's melted. It's a tough place for that little guy to live there by the exhaust and such, uh, headed down on that firewall. So there's your quick tip. Vacuum line. Check it out. I have a story on an electric vehicle tax credit. And part of this story uh, is biased against certain manufacturers. We're going to talk about that. Greg, what's shaking in the world of antiquity? Well, I have a word for you. You might know it. You ready? Let me pull out a dictionary. Hold on a second. I have a car that I'm excited to see, and I'm going to put the word Italianesque on this car. Like Italiano car. There you go. Out in in, uh, Monterey. There you go. So I have, you know, doing what I do, I have a lot of relationships, and I know where a lot of cars are, a lot of people are. So I got a call just this past Tuesday of a gentleman that owns a very rare Ferrari. And he's had it for a long time. It's actually been known to be the last and oldest Ferrari in existence. So he called me Tuesday. Now, let me ask you something. Because the people want to know, how the heck do you get these phone calls? (laughs) Persistence. I was going to say, you're out there. It's persistence and just always having a good rapport, not being pushy. Um, if someone has an, a rare old car and you're pushing and pushing, no. it's turn off. Yeah. But you just hang out there in the wings and you, and you let them know you still, you're excited about the car like they are, then they welcome you in it. So oh, you're got, a good man. So you got your Italian on. Tell us more. I got this call Tuesday. I'm going to call his name Ed. And he's like, hey, Greg, if, if you're in the area, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you look at it. 
So uh, this Saturday, I'm going to go up north a little bit, and I'm excited to see what he secret, has. Secret location. I, I, it is a secret location. Of he course. hasn't even given me his address yet, and I don't know if he actually will. He might be like, meet me on the corner kind of thing. I don't know yet. But uh, I will share the story next week on the show. But I'm excited to go up there and look at this very rare Ferrari. I'm looking personally to see if the number is 002C. And that's what I want to confirm. Tell us about this 002 that's, that's confirmed as being one of the rare Ferraris. And if that number is on that car, then that's Where gonna, would we find this number? Well, I don't know yet because it's so old. It's not the, the, the Ferrari you would think about. It's going gotcha. to be more like a narrow Cobra style, big round body, big round shape. So I'll share with the story, the rest of the story next week. But I'm excited to go up Saturday uh, and look at this car and meet this gentleman. Wish you best, man, on that one. And uh, if you guys see a very odd rare ferrari and about a five five foot six inch five foot eight inch blonde haired dude standing on the corner of a circle k doing a deal well here's the deal it's pull not, out a camera it's not for sale he's very clear i'm ah. not selling it so he's just so let, this is just a, just a little a, history just to share it with me is what his comment was i'd love to share it with you is what he said you know i think that's how it should be i think that i mean most would would share what they have in a car show but that's really cool that he knows you're a Buku enthusiast. Yep. You just love all things automotive that way. In that, And since I still have the 54, the one-of-one rare Chevy from the 60s, I feel good of sharing my story about my car with him. So I'm going to share my story with him and then roll right Man, into Man, it's story. like a bunch of chefs sharing what they got cooking <laughs> in the kitchen. I love that. I know many of you do that, too. Um, and especially as we pay it forward for a lot of the youngsters. Hashtag fake news. You've heard me say it before, car culture ain't going away. Right. In fact, we're going to have Richard Ochoa come by here shortly and tell us how Lowrider is alive and kicking. Uh, alive and kicking. A lot of you drive a gas vehicle. Some drive diesel. It was announced, our federal government, peoples, those mad scientists up on Capitol Hill, they say that there's going to be a $4,500 incentive, plus possibly another $7,500, totaling 12G incentive for you to buy an electric vehicle. Well, what I would do is I'd buy electric electric vehicle, take the 10, 12 grand, cut it up, paint it, rims and tires. Let them I thought you were going to say, uh, pull that motor to do an LS. Oh, yeah. Might well, as well a little more let money. them pay for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But well, here's the catch on this, people, because a lot of you uh, have interest. Have interest. It fits lifestyle, because we've mentioned that on the show. We've had guests in that arena of the electric vehicle where our Lifestyle doesn't dictate 250-mile range. Some of you uh, sales folks, uh, that doesn't work. Like You can't spend whatever, how much time during the day to stop and charge. But some of you, absolutely, you'd be all over an electric vehicle. And if I could give you, you know, 75, 12,000, 500, whatever, big incentive money, you probably may want to consider it. Now, if you are Honda, there's a couple of things in here on this bill, and I think... You listening may like this. We love born on dates in America and made here. There's a sense of pride to that. Now, we realize, okay, our friends in China, they're making stuff. Our friends in Japan, they're making stuff. Well, our friends in Japan and probably China, I know China's not really moving cars here yet. You never know. My yet. prediction is That's Walmart. Keyword. Keyword. If Walmart starts selling a Neo electric vehicle, huh? You buy, I mean, some of you, you know, would do that. But in this bill that's proposed, Tesla, Toyota, and Honda 
feel they're being discriminated because the vehicle has to have a lot of born on in this country. So obviously Honda, Toyota, which make, I mean, you know, they make EVs. Yeah, they have a lot of market share on that. So Tesla, Toyota, Honda are criticizing this bill. So I don't know how you guys feel because this is really all about union-made cars in the U.S. And trucks, of course. And, of course, GM, Ford, and so on. They're excited about it. I mean, they have a whole lineup of EVs. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm going to keep my 08 F-150. I always have a truck in my family. I'll never get rid of that. However, I am looking at that Lightning truck. I'm probably going to wait one or two years. Those Ford Lightnings, they're popular. They're actually coming back, the ones from the 90s. So grab an old one if you can. <laughs> Those original Lightnings. Original ones. See, you're speaking from the old... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, what you find at an auction. So the Lightning, the original Lightning. Ford Lightning, the red ones. With all the oh, yeah. souped up. Yeah. But no, I'm serious. I mean, some of you are looking. Some of you own a, a company that have a fleet of vehicles, and you have that interest that that EV would work. So pay attention uh, to that because there's going to be, it's just a matter of time where there's going to be sizable rebates. Now, some of us in the service bays, mechanics, automotive technicians, should we be nervous? Is the gas engine going away? It's not. Not on my watch, it I never don't believe. Will. It no. never will. I mean, we know California's got 2030 or so. I think it's 2030, 35. No more gas. It's got to be electric. How do you feel about that? That's not going to happen. All these guys. Well, it's California, man. Uh, yeah, it's true. They're, they're... I mean, you're still going to have the old school gas will be there, but they're really trying yeah. to move in a whole that's a whole different direction. There's going to be some challenges, but a lot of people will accept it. Eventually. How did we do this back in horse carriage day? Do you think legislation said, by the year 1905, <laughs> no more horse and buggies? Only two horses only. <laughs> Was our government thinking this way? Not at all. Probably not. No. They couldn't care less. Mm. But it is what it is. And uh, so be on the look at that. Uh, look out for that. I know that you guys uh, have interest. Uh with a name like Sweet as Candy, Richard Ochoa of the Lowrider scene, of course, Lowrider magazine, an icon here in Arizona. His 76 Monte Carlo Lowrider is a legend uh, in the industry. And we are honored to take a dive into some fantastic Lowrider culture. I want you guys to stay tuned, Ranch Nation. Bolt On Technologies, automotive software solutions, auto repair shops that have Bolt On Technology software. Provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. I want my mileage back. Of course you want your mileage back. And all the extra money you've spent feeding an engine gunked up with carbon. Your car needs its fuel system cleaned, and it needs it now. You need BG44K. It's the one dealerships use the most. In fact, they use BG44K almost three to one over any other fuel system cleaner made. To find a shop near you, go to bgfindashop.com. That's bgfindashop.com. I got my mileage back. BG. 
Well, listen up. I'm talking to you about one of the premier auto parts superstores in the country, Parts Authority. One of the biggest problems that we can have in a modern day garage is when our parts don't arrive on time or the quality of our parts are just not there. The Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counterfolk, national program, quick delivery, AC Delco, Monroe, Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstore. If you're an installer or own a garage, you need to check out PartsAuthority.com. 52% of the population family are women. We love you ladies, but less than 3% of you women are professional technicians. Our charity partner, Tech Force Foundation, believes if we want to solve this little technician shortage, we need to start talking to 52% of these ladies out in the population. Head on over. If you feel like you can tinker with the best of them, head on over to techforce.org. Vision collision. God forbid you get into an accident or you get a little bumper fender bender slide or even if you've got that shopping cart that ends up scratching the side of your newer ride. My friends at Vision Collision, they're certified. They deal with insurance companies, but also what I really like is they were able to deal with my situation. I didn't want to exercise my insurance and I paid out of pocket and they gave me a very fair price with quality work. So for any complete auto body paint and repair, you want that small business, the heart of business that treats you one-on-one. Vision Collision, 480-248-9049, visioncollision.com. When you're thinking about body shop or collision work, paint repair, dent repairs, collision, wheel restoration, Vision Collision is the way to go. Tell them Frank at Wrench Nation sent you, 480-248-9049, 480-248-9049, Vision Collision. Right on, welcome back family. Get on to wrenchnation.tv and I ask you, please, of course, don't do this while you guys are driving. Get on to our little old Wrench Nation YouTube. We actually had uh, Dan Hogan of Hoagie Shines. He's going to premiere uh, for both, I believe, SEMA, Barrett-Jackson. He is the authority with these, like, uh, yeah. I mean, ground-up uh, custom K5 Blazer builds. Yeah, he knows them front to back, up to down. He's he's the authority on that vehicle. Our latest YouTube video, we were honored to be out there at his garage, a little inside peek, uh, the passion, how he's getting this done, uh, and, you know, some of the peekaboo into what's happening uh, as he's going to be premiering some of these uh, vehicles, uh, you can catch that on Wrench Nation YouTube. Richard Ochoa, a legend with the Low Rider Circuit, uh, brings a lifetime, in fact, uh, a lifetime of just all things Low Rider. Uh, he's a contributor uh, to all things Low Rider in the industry. Many of you know the name. Of course, he's Hall of Fame, Arizona's godfather of Low Riding. Welcome to the show, Richard. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, yeah. Yeah, glad to have you here, Richard. All right, listen, I got to ask you a question because uh, uh, Greg over here, thank you, Greg, you sent me over some pictures. Is that dad in the one picture you sent with the white? I'm not sure if that was an Impala. We posted it on Wrench Nation Facebook. Is that family? Because <laughs> that's old school. That, that, that's me. That's, that's me. old. Oh, I okay. knew it. I knew that, it. <laughs> that's, that's back in the day. That's back in the day. Uh, I was much taller back then, of course. Uh, you know? what, what year was that taken? Uh, I'm going to say maybe 1975. Yeah, get on the Ranch Nation Facebook. You can catch. We did post up a series of photos, and you'll see that. Uh, Cool. You know, which is is really cool. Um, I'd like to start, before we dive in a bit to your background in history and the years that you've been just on the the front lines of promoting culture and your own builds and such, tell us about the upcoming show. We have people that dip in and out of the show, and I just want to get folks aware 
so they can head out to the show. What's coming up in October, Lowrider? October 2nd, we have um, the Arizona Lowrider Super Show, and it's going to be Saturday. Uh, we're looking forward to having uh, bringing the show back, especially after about a year and a half of uh, of uh, just COVID and, and not being able to get out there and, and everybody show their rides off and, like we used to. Uh, so we're pretty excited about it. Um, actually, Lowrider has a really deep history uh, with car shows here in Arizona. The very first Lowrider magazine show was produced at Firebird Lake, um, a wild course pass casino now, but uh, Firebird Lake is where the first time we had a show there in 1979. Um, since then, we've had many, many show homes in Arizona, including the Mesa Convention Center, um, the Phoenix Convention Center, uh, the, the Arizona State Fairgrounds. Uh, in a few years, we went to the um, uh, Arizona Cardinal Stadium, and now we're going back and we're taking it to where they have the infamous um, good guy show and Bear Jackson is uh, Westworld. Yeah, some That's big the, stomping grounds out there. And one of the things, too, yeah. a lot of folks aren't aware, maybe they've got, whether it's a lowrider build happening or whether they're working on a custom 56 Chevy, what have you. Tell us right. how important it is um, to, to the industry as well as enthusiasts behind some of these builds that a show is sanctioned. What's the difference? Some people don't know about that. Good question. Well, you know, lowrider, lowrider Magazine has uh, about... 45 years of history, and uh, the magazine itself started producing shows back in the 70s, like I mentioned before. Um, through the years, uh, there's been events uh, that happen all over the country. But we do with, with Lowrider, we have um, found out doing show after show after show that creating some consistency with judging uh, car classes, um, the point structures, um, and, and actually just the format of the event uh, creates something that people can build to and get used to. And also, you know, we have these vehicles that are built specifically from our road book. Um, not that everybody wants to build a, a car for it to be a champion on the show floor. Um, they want to just be a champion in the garage, and that's great. But some of these vehicles are built according to the way we have structured our rules. Um, we have a 290-point rule system, point system uh, for our vehicles, and it, it's, the vehicle is judged on everything from paint, interior, undercarriage, engine compartment, trunk, um, engraving, chrome plating, wheels and tires, uh, craftsmanship, uh, fabrication, uh, you name it. So we have a, quite a bit of categories, and these vehicles are built on those, on those stands right there. Yeah, so, you guys um, can uh, – I want to tell the people real quick, Richard, uh, shout-out to the website, Motorsports showcase.com motorsportshowcase.com um there's a ton of information there uh richard that's your website we want to send yeah. folks over there so they understand that um do you find that people what area could they be challenged in i mean what's the commonality that i show up i've got to build i thought i met all the criteria but i was missing one or two things what's the common missing for these sanctioned events for a lowrider bill that you can just air out to people that may want to improve upon? Well, you know what? With, with the show business, uh, producing car shows, you, you, we've been to many, many shows across the, across the country. Uh, but people like to see these vehicles. These are, you know, these are especially um, American metal is, is just so unique of an art um, that back in the day, 
you know, when your father bought a 57 Chevy, he bought something that he was buying off the lot, and it was getting him from point A to point B. These days, uh, just the curves of and the streamlining of a 57, um, you don't see that anymore. And, uh, you know, bringing that back, that nostalgic back uh, look um, just adds to, um, to me, it's part of it's part of American history. You know, um, the expression, hey, you know, um, apple pie Chevrolet and, 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 and that, that's it. You know, it's, so, it's Americana for sure. There you go, yeah. And, and uh, the one thing that's pretty cool about lowrider sport is primarily it's all almost always American-made vehicles. Um, but we're not only doing have an impact here in the U.S. You know, there, there, are, there are lowrider car clubs and car shows in other countries. There's, there's events in Europe. Uh, and more importantly, uh, you know, we've, had, we've, we've seen events in, in France, in Japan, in Germany, uh, Switzerland, Australia. Um, of course, you, you can't forget Mexico. I was going to say, uh, we've got to talk about that because Chicano, Chicana, give us the uh, history, man. Go take us back in time. What was, what was the connection there? Some would say, man, this is so significant to the culture, Chicano culture. How did that connection well, um, start? Like, I mean, talk to us about that. Well, you know, the history of the lowrider is, is, is a little complex, uh, kind of like almost the history of hot rodding. And I'll tell you the, the, the difference here is, you know, you can trace hot rodding back to the 1920s. And, and the reason that hot rodding came to be that a lot of people might not be hip on or understanding is, and I'm hearing this from the old school guys, right? These are the hot rod guys that have talked to me about this. And, you know, they tell me, hey, man, sometimes you got to, you know, the way hot rodding came to be was back in the 20s during Prohibition, um, you know, you, can, you can't go, go to, the, to the liquor store and buy, buy some beer. Uh, you know, you had to purchase it through other means. And um, these guys were doing moonshining and, 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 and creating, doing, you know, selling their, their product, and they would usually sell it out of their car. Um, well, you know, the law enforcement people had to, had to caught, caught, caught on to that really quick. So what did these guys do? They had to build faster cars than, than the police cars were. So they just started souping up their cars, making them quicker, faster, so they can get from point A to point B and drop off their product and get back home. And those are the real, you know, some, some history about the hot rodding that, I'm, that I hear about. On the lowrider side, lowrider took a little bit of time. Um, lowriders could be traced back to the 1940s. Uh, in the 40s, uh, there were, I don't know if you've heard uh, the name Pachuco. You know, have you guys ever heard of uh, uh, what Pachucos are? Those are those guys that used to around, dress around with the, with the zoot suits. You know? Yeah, and, oh yeah. We know about the zoot suits. I, I've never, I'm not, you're, and I appreciate it. I've never heard of that, that term. Say it again. It's Pachuco. Pachuco. The uh, style. Pachuco I mean, kind yeah. of is, was, uh, it was kind of like a, you know, a Chicano gangster that, uh, that had a, a really nice, back in the 40s, was a nice ride. These guys typically started up from, you know, they got out of the war. They came into the States. Um, everybody needed a job. Some folks didn't have, couldn't find a job. So they started getting, um, they started just getting creative with what they were doing. And creating, some started auto shops. Um, a lot of the folks that got out of the Army and the, and the service, you know, they, they took the train that they got in the service and, um, and took it home with them. So a lot of them came back to be mechanics, uh, body and paint shops, and things of that nature. So they, they started working on their own vehicles. And when they started working on their own vehicles, they created their own style of, of, 
workmanship and craftsmanship on the on the vehicles themselves. Um, well, that's a whole movement of low and slow. And actually, I mean, almost opposite. Yeah. yeah. To chime and, in. And, and 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 I'll give you a little bit of the history on the Pachuco side. Is the the word Pachuco came from a slang word. Um, it de- derived from a, of a small town in Texas called El Paso, Texas. Now, for any of you listening in right now that are from El Paso, you know when I say you're from Chuco, Chuco is a slang word for El Paso, Texas, and they call it Chuco. Thus, the word, the first guys that started fixing up these cars uh, were from El Paso. They, they came up with the word Pachuco, and that's kind of the little thing on, on, the, on the wording for Pachuco. Now, the Pachuco at transition, and as he went from El Paso, Texas, and and kind of cruised from uh, back west, back westward. Um, he ended up, of course, we all know they ended up in in L.A. and then up to San Jose. Uh, but during that whole journey, uh, he brought the style of cars like that with him. Yeah, and I know. And it's tr- just real quick, Richard. I want to interject. I know that it, that was a big deal for like manufacturers, the government. They were kind of skewed on it. They were so in the in I believe it was the mid to late fifties. They actually made. California Vehicle Code said, "Hey, you can't mm-hmm. modify. It's illegal to operate any 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 car that's modified." Yeah, it was illegal to have the frame below the center point of the wheel. Yeah, and you're right. The gentleman right. coming back from the war, that's where they introduced aircraft hydraulics, because aircraft hydraulics was the very first hydraulics put on cars, not not the ones you see today. So that's where it all started. Was a gentleman coming back from aircraft from the war. So that was uh, that was the deal. So here we are. We're in L.A. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna slow and low. I wanna low and slow. I wanna take it to a different level. I wanna create me. Was that a big? I mean, that's how they overcome this this sort of California vehicle code was the introduction of hydraulics. Maybe I don't <laughs> that's, know. That's that's one of the reasons. Now we of course started lowering our vehicles way before hydraulics were were um, a yeah. reality. I remember and, my. Um, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I oh, see. I remember my uncle putting blocks and sandbags in the back of his car. He's <laughs> a little yeah, cheap. Unfortunately, you know what? Weight was the easy way to do it. Now, of course, you know you wanted to work on it right. You'd get in down there and you you cut your springs or cut your leaves and and do it that way. And that's the way it was done a lot. And it gave the car a longer, lower look. Uh, and it gave the car a look that that just made the car look, have that feel of a cruiser. You know, and um, and that's why that was the short fix at that time. Later on, of course, uh, the first gentleman that actually put hydraulics on the vehicle, uh, it wasn't, I believe it was in the, in the late 50s that that happened. But, um, you know, uh, really low riding and hydraulics really didn't take off till about the 70s. Um, and then you started seeing some uh, private manufacturers popping up and actually creating and building uh, automotive hydraulic parts. Before that, you're right. We're using auto, um, aircraft equipment. You know, I had some aircraft cylinders that that uh, raised and lowered my '64 Impala when I first put the hydraulics in it. You know, and then I had a a pump that was either a tailgate pump off of a tailgate truck, or it was off of a um, aircraft, uh, military or, or or civilian aircraft called a Pesco pump, and that was uh, what got the cylinders filled up with hydraulic fluid so the car could go up and down. The early days of hydraulics right here. If you're just joining us, we got Richard Ochoa. I want you guys to get on a motorsportshowcase.com. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to get into more of the lowrider movement as it 
traveled through the whole country and, of course, globally. I want you guys to stay tuned. Ranch Nation. bit of war you guys know what i'm talking about we love a little bit of war and of course we're gonna bring up some roger and zap have to you have to roger you know zap. part of low riding is the music culture it is a vibe man and this is the thing whether we're talking about the low rider community classic hot rods hot rods this is what it's about hashtag fake news if you think car culture is going away uh, it is absolutely not. Before we bring Richard in, I do have a shout-out, Matt Johnson. He is the chief operator officer of Pet Boys, listens to this show. You rock for holding down a team, taking care of people every day in every way. Matt Johnson of Pet Boys, thanks for hanging with the show. Of course, Richard Achor, let's bring Mr. Richard back. Welcome back, partner. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I can imagine that, you know, the improvisation in the 50s and 60s was kind of like, okay, how are we going to make this work? You know, let's throw some bricks. And then all of a sudden, we get the PESCO pumps and valves to change ride height through the flick of a switch. How important is that to someone building out a low rider, the flick of a switch? That's right. 
And and you know what? It, it made uh, a big convenience for me, especially back in my early days uh, here in Arizona. There's a law that requires your license plate to be 12 inches or above the ground, the pavement. And um, you know, of course, being low and slow, I'm in my '64 Chevy at first. Before I had the hydraulics, uh, that was a challenge for me. And I, you know, I had a glove box full of tickets at one time uh, for being too low. Um, and and uh, the one thing that remedied that was, of course, installing my hydraulic system. And uh, so uh, a few times I'd be cruising in the park on a Sunday afternoon, and I'd be low and slow cruising and listening to my favorite music. And then uh, maybe I'd see some lights behind me click on, and so I'd pull over and explain to the officer, I'm sorry, and uh, blew it too low and hit my switch and put it up to to stock. <laughs> and it. at first he was blown away at first saying, well, how did you do that? So I showed him what I did and what, what I had in my trunk, and, and uh, he was pretty, pretty um, – he had a great positive attitude about it. He laughed and said, "Okay, man, thanks a lot. Appreciate it." <laughs> so I have to ask: you know, was it was it one pump, two pump, four battery, two battery? What oh, you have no, back, back then? then? Back then, I just had the one pump for the front, one pump for the back. Gotcha. And um, and that kept that kept me going up and down. Now technology has changed. Uh, hydraulic systems are are way way superior to what they were back in the '60s and '70s. Uh, in fact, we have hydraulic competitions. We're going to have a hydraulic competition at the Arizona Lowrider Super Show at Westworld October 2nd. That's a fan uh, favorite, Custom. fan favorite right there. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Frank's Custom Hydraulics is hosting that hop for us, and um, you're going to see some bumpers uh, climbing to the sky uh, for this car hop. And um, they've been able to do this with some really good technology and, and just advancements in, in, in the sport. Um, and so, we ha- again, we are giving out – Actually, thousands of dollars of cash and prizes for the car hop alone. Is it too late to register uh, Lowrider right now? No, actually, we still have a few spaces to, for if you want to bring your your ride in and display. Um, we you can go to lowriderexperience.com and register for the Scottsdale show, um, and uh, we can get you in and you can show the ride. And again, we have a move in Friday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then the move in this Saturday morning. From 7 to 11, the show starts right at noon. LowriderExperience.com? Correct, yeah. All right, so listen, back in the 50s, 60s, Beach Boys, you know, all things Chevy, convertible, Chevy Bel Air. Fast forward in the 1990s, talk to us about how music really opened it up. West Coast hip-hop, G-Funk culture, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Game, Warren G., South Central Cartel and Easy E, all, all of them. Wow, I'm wondering, oh, is, is that your collection or wow? You, <laughs> no, you I, well, I, as a DJ, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I haven't played any gigs lately, but no, yeah. man, this is this is. So what my point is, music has this association um, oh, yeah. that not only. L- let's just face it. All right, I, I'm I'm from the inner city of New York. Like we didn't grow up with low riders, however. Right. The music scene in her city highlighted to the world a whole new b-boy culture, rap culture, and it wasn't just inner city. And so lowrider culture wasn't just inner city. How important was it early '90s with the music scene to get that out? Oh yeah, it 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 it, it drove everything. Actually, you know, my my thing is this: to me, um, music is the soundtrack to our lives. And, um, you know, when you're playing your soundtrack, just imagine you being in the movie and you're, and you're watching yourself cruising on the street. Um, with, without that soundtrack playing in the background, 
it would be a very boring drive. You know, so uh, that I've always thought that. And, you know, I grew up in the 70s where, you know, my, my music was, uh, back then, Earth, Wind & Fire was a new band, you know, and, uh, and um, you know, the songs I listened to, I listened to a lot of War, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, um, and then, of course, I, my girl with me, so I had Barry White in the car, too, with me. Oh, so, Barry White. You know, I mean, uh, everybody, you know, Al Green and, and, the, and all those old jams um, were, were some of my favorites. But then as we grew on, I'm, 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 a, I'm an old guy now, um, but when I go to the car shows, I still listen to the music that maybe even my sons will listen to uh, from the 90s, and, and, and um, they still have a good beat to me. Richard, know? it's uh, not... You're not an old guy, man. This whole movement keeps you young, keeps man. You young and in, uh, young and in tune. I remember. I mean, that's what we want to believe. I mean, listen, if I'm building a '47 Series 62 Cadillac, and wow. it's in 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 the stages of uh-huh. where I'm going, what propels me to make me believe that I will get to the completed project? Why not shoot out some war? My stuff may be rusty. It may still be right. missing stuff, but it's the feeling. And that's the beauty, man, of car culture, period. And, and specifically, we're talking low rider. Man, that just oh, yeah. takes me to that next level because we're beat up in the garage. It's not working out. But you know what? Let me get some Roger and Zap going. It's good yeah, the, the, the music's a huge influence. I remember cruising Hollywood, and I would actually pull over to make sure I had the right music before I went down the street. You checked so, the tunes, yeah. yeah you have to. Oh, you know, that, right? that was mandatory, especially if, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're going to hit a hot spot and you knew your friends were there. See? And you, if you knew some of the girls were there, you had to have the right music on. That's yeah, right. no doubt. All right, take and, us, uh, and again, Richard, take us back in time. I want to go back. Uh, Dad was, was big in the industry. Familia was big. Your early inspirations were right there in the household. Take us back to those younger years how did dad inspire you? How did the family inspire you to really just gravitate to the whole scene? You know, I'm, I'm from a small many town in Arizona called Superior. Superior, um, it's, it's, it's a very small town nowadays, but growing up in Superior, we had a, a, our traditional Main Street. And on Main Street, uh, any Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, uh, you'd be down Main Street, and there'd be lowriders cruising in, in, in Main Street in Superior. Now, that wasn't the case when I moved to Mesa. When I moved to Mesa, you know, Mesa is very, actually has a, had a national um, known uh, strip on, on, on their main street. I mean, I remember going to Mesa on Main, and you would have hot rodder guys that would drive their cars or trigger their cars from L.A. to, to race cars from, from here in Arizona. And they did it on, in, in Main Street in Mesa. You know, so every every... Every town has their main street or their main drag and their own style of rides. Uh, but when I moved to Mesa, it was it was hot rodding, but that's cool because I brought my flavor into it. And um, it adopted well. I, after a while, I convinced some of my friends to start low riding here in Mesa and, and started my own car club. Um, my very first car club, we, me and my, my uh, good friend and lifetime friend, John Real, started was called Pride Car Club. And that was in the early, early 70s. Um, and that club was the very first lowrider club in Mesa. Uh, we didn't have a lot of cars, but we had a lot of heart. And uh, we were working on our cars and learning how to build our cars all together. Um, we, you know, we, we did that kind of like um, in a family style atmosphere. You know, so uh, you know that that worked out really well for me, and, and it, I kind of cut my teeth with Pride Car Club. But then um, that kind of went away after a while. 
1980, I started and founded another club called Society Car Club out of Misa. And Society is still an active club. We're celebrating our 42nd year of operations. Shout out to Society Car Club. Club. That that's awesome. I do want to I want to stop right here because I want to take it back uh, to to back to uh, Pride uh, Mm -hmm. days. Uh, there were some serious rivalries. Was that a part of the transition to Society Car Club where you said, you know, we've we got to instill some different, more positive philosophies? And, and i got to add to that, some are are totally jaded, you know, and, and maybe maybe popular culture on t- what you see on TV and movies, they make it right. seem like that whole lowrider scene is bad news. That is not the case. Talk to us about that. Well, no, you're right. You're exactly right. Uh, back in the 70s, you know, like everything else, um, uh, especially with, with the youngsters, um, it, it, the car clubs and unfortunately some of the, some of the, some of the gang, gangsters that were, I don't want to say even gangsters, they weren't even gangsters. They were, they were just uh, rival neighborhoods. That's, I mean, yeah, they were just yeah. rival neighborhoods. That's, yeah. that's the best way of putting that. Yeah. You know, and, and if you weren't from your neighborhood, you know, they just didn't like you there. And, you know, when I was with Pride, we had some of those growing pains. Um, in fact, I, I even lost a few members uh, because of that violence, and it was not really a, a good thing. But unfortunately, we were kind of like in the middle of it because, you know, our guys that were, build- that were in the car clubs, our main focus was working on our cars and, and having a, a cohesive environment that, um, that was a positive thing. So when we go into maybe uh, to a different part of town that, that uh, they didn't recognize us, and we had to defend ourselves. Uh, you know, we got out of there, of course, but sometimes we wouldn't get out of there without getting, you know, a, a couple of rocks thrown at us here and there. You know, so those are the bad times of the 70s. Uh, they called those the car club war years. And that was all across the country uh, when it came to low riding. And actually, uh, back in those days, um, in the 70s especially, the car clubs and the neighborhoods hadn't um, learned how to kind of be cohesive with each other. But, of course, in time, uh, everything worked itself out. Nowadays, you know, uh, low-order car clubs, is, at least the ones I know about, are some of the most productive people that get involved with community outreach programs that I know. I mean, my car club alone, we have an annual toy drive that we do every year, and we deliver Christmas uh, presents for underprivileged children, uh, from Mesa at the, for the Mesa Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we also deliver presents to my old hometown of Superior. Um, we give those toys to the Superior Fire Department, and they distribute those toys there. And we also give toys uh, to an organization in Guadalupe, Arizona, uh, for, for children that need, have the needs there. So, um, And that's just one club doing this. Um, I know of other clubs that they have their own toy drives every year and food drives, and they get involved with their neighborhoods. And they do cleanup projects. And they do this because we're part of the neighborhood. And the thing about it is the, the, the thing that is misconception is these guys that, that you so-called were gang guys or that, that wanted to cause trouble, the last thing that a lowrider wants to do is cause trouble. Because guess what? The first thing that that trouble is going to do is come and try to mess up your car. And they have all this time and effort and love for their car. The last thing they want. It's for that car to be ruined. Yeah, no, well so, said. Um, well said. Uh, yeah. we, we talked about early 90s, uh, sort of front and center with hip-hop culture and, and, and West Coast. But we, we also have to say, Richard, you, you have been on the map for many years promoting a positive light. In 2004, 
you created that Arizona Lowrider Art Symposium that really put the art and style as a function and not just a bunch of people getting together, grease monkeys, whatever, chrome, fancy paint. Mm -hmm. you, you held this right. symposium. How was that taken by the people there in Mesa at the Mesa Southwest Museum back in 04? You know what? Um, that's interesting that you brought that up. Uh, uh, they took it very well, actually, and it was a surprise because when I was asked by the city of Mesa if we could put this together, I said, sure, that's great. Um, and so we did that, and we brought in uh, not only, of course, the obvious one is we, we brought some nice rides and parked them in front of the museum on display, and we actually put even a lowrider inside the museum for about three months was on display. Uh, but we had some speakers that were that were influential in the industry. You know, I brought in at the time the publisher of Lowrider Magazine. I brought in some some what I called master builders from L.A. and Phoenix, and I even brought in. Uh, we had um, we have um, not only the car clubs are for for guys, but there's some car clubs that are based with that that have some girls in them too. At that time, I we had um, a car club that I brought in, and um, it was one of the very first female clubs. Uh, her name was Pearl, and she came down and spoke in regards to how the women uh, are part of the lowrider industry as well. You know, uh, right now Pearl um, is belongs and her husband is Corey. Uh, now Pearl has a car club with nothing but bombs. These are all old '30s and '40s and '50s cars, and they're all women drivers. They they the women own the vehicles. They work on their vehicles, of course, with their husband's help, and uh, the husbands have their clubs as well. So Corey runs Finiquera Classics, and Pearl runs Finiquera's Finest. So you have a, a, a husband and wife team that have two different clubs. Of course, they all show together, and it's great great to see that. You know, great to see that. Yeah, well, we can't forget Teresa. You're lovely. She's been side by side. How important is family in uh, lowrider culture? Well, with, without Teresa, this doesn't happen. So, <laughs> you know, the one thing about about um, about low riding is it's 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 very not only it's 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 family oriented, but it's multi generational. So, I'll, I'll give you an idea. When I was a young guy and working on my car, uh, my wife was at the car shows with me, helping me, and my son, two years old, as it may, when he was just you know didn't know what was going on, but he was there with us too. You know, um, quite honestly. You know, we, we, we would go to these car shows, and it was more like a picnic for us or a gathering, and we had some great times. But, uh, again, with, with low riding, it's multi-generational. It's not uncommon for you to go to a car show, um, and you will see the, 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 the guy there with a the car being maybe the dad and his son there, but then you'll see the, the, the dad's father there, too. So yeah. it's not uncommon to have three generations and even more at these car shows enjoying enjoying the love for the vehicle. Now, that's well stated. It keeps family together. We yeah. need more of that in our culture. What are you seeing today, Richard, that may differ? I know we talked advancements in hydraulics, and I know technology exists. What What's like the big deal right now in the lowrider community from a mechanical perspective, or has it really remained true blue across the board from paint schemes? And is there a difference today? What are, what are let me let me just throw out, you know, millennials. What's my daughter who may be involved? She's 22, 23. What what is she looking at doing a little differently uh, that we may not have had back in back in the day? Well, you know, unfortunately, everything changes in life. Um, you know, you back in my day, um, you know, that 64 Impala that you saw 
on that picture. I think I bought it in 1974, and I, I bought it for 150 bucks, uh. right? And when I bought that car for that 64 Chevy for $150, it was only a 10-year-old car, right? And, and I mean, the AC ran, everything. The car was fully operational. And 150 bucks is when I went and asked the gentleman, um, sir, do you want to sell your car? And he goes, yeah, funny, but um, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to want, you know, I'm going to need some good money out of it. I need at least $150. And so I actually, to be honest with you, I had to run to my grandmother and borrow 50 bucks because I only had 100 and she lent me that 50 bucks. I ran back, paid the guy the money, and drove home my 64 Impala. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, and, and now, um, you know, that car, uh, if you find one at, with that pristine condition, you know, you got to add a couple more zeros to that. You think that's you taken know, so, a lot uh, of that out from the, the average youngster that's like, you know, talking to uncle or talking to, you know, his people that, that day doesn't exist anymore. It's hard for youngsters to get in because it's buku money. Oh yeah, and and again, that's go, that's going back to the the multi generational. A lot of the vehicles that we have in the industry right now are passed down. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I have a I have a '59 Chevy Impala right now that I just finished building up. It took me about eight eight to ten years to build this car, and you know, I'm already an old guy, so that car is not going to end up with me. Uh, but it's going to end up with my family. I already have that dialed in, and it's going to end up with my sons. You know, and and um, and a lot of people have that. You you go to car shows and you talk to these guys on their storylines, and these cars have so great storylines. You'd be be surprised. You know, I I, I talked to this gentleman that I met um, in, in that long, at the uh, Albuquerque Super Show, and he was the third owner. Um, the previous two owners was his father and his grandfather. His grandfather bought it brand spanking new in 1947, you know, off, off of a, a no Chevrolet lot over there. It was a 47 fleet line. And um, it's been restored and been restored, but it's kept been kept in the family. That is our version of family jewels are these rides. Well, it's and like Cuba. Richard, Cuba, uh, we had, and this is some time ago, but we had a gentleman off of Haggerty. He does the, uh, the show on TV and some of the YouTube stuff where he travels right. the world. And I forget the name of the show, and forgive me for not remembering the guest, but the fact is he went to Cuba, and we did a whole show uh-huh. on that, and it's the same thing. Like, that's how these cars, of course, they're using toothpaste and other things to <laughs> keep them together because they don't have, you know, AutoZone is not hanging down. <laughs> to, you know, um, but the that's fact is one. that's how they roll. They That's like Jewel, that, that oh, yeah. mid-'50s, you know, before – you know, all of these sanctions that, that those things stay in line. And, right. and it's interesting. I've never heard it that way put, and it makes sense to me. Uh, Greg, you go to a lot of these auctions and that's got to be disappointing for somebody that feels good, man. I got 20,000 right now. I got 20,000, man, these things are getting bare minimum 40, 50, 60. Yeah. That's got to be can frustrating. Walk there at an auction with a pocket of money like that and still walk away with nothing. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, unfortunately, you know what? And, and, and it's true. Now, once in the blue moon, you get lucky and you find a find a great deal, and you can do that. Uh, but you do really have to look hard. And uh, there was a there, there was uh, as, as you guys know, you guys are in the industry. You know, barn finds back in the day were not that hard to find. You know, but you can't even find a barn anymore. So I mean, it, it's it's <laughs> almost very it's very rare for you to be able to to go out and find a smoking deal or a really good deal. Um, I'll go back to you know just again my. My 59 Impella that I just bought, I bought it 
10 years ago, and I, I, I bought it literally in pieces. This car was buried underground in Blythe, California. Uh, the storyline goes like this. is There was a gentleman, he was a mechanic. He had the 59. He took it all apart to work on it, but he took it apart in his front yard. The city of Blythe went and gave him a ticket, a fine him some money because it was an eyesore. He got so upset with the city, he got, he got his backhoe that he owned. He dug a hole in the backyard, got the car, and buried it. And then he wow. forgot about it. So when he forgot about it, he sold the home. The home went to another owner. The owner was putting a, a pool in their backyard. And guess what they ran into? They, they, hit, the, my, they hit the roof of my 59 wow. with a backhoe. And um, so they, buried, they unburied the car, took it out. The gentleman was, like, blown away because he, he didn't think anybody would bury a whole car like that. Um, of course, the first thing he did is look for bodies. But nothing was there, and, and uh, money you know, and money thing. probably sacks of money. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so an incredible. Anyway, he went ahead and he got a mechanic's lien on the cars and put it for sale. I ended up buying the car for thirty five hundred dollars, you know, for for a fifty nine Impala in pieces. Um, but I have a buddy that just sold his fifty nine Impala in L A. and he sold it for two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. You know, so I mean, the value of these old Impalas are out of this world. Yeah. You know, but you know, if you if you if you get lucky and you have one of these American made vehicles, you know, keep it in the family. You know, it's it's almost like your own personal four oh one if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No, there's a return for sure. I mean, all things uh classic and customs, uh, of course, definitely within the low rider genre. Um, we're getting ready to wrap it up. What I do wanna t- I wanna send people can they find you? Am I getting this right? Motorsportshowcase.com. You've got all the events there as well. That's your website, yeah? Yes, motorsportshowcase.com. They, and we have a great uh, picture gallery of past events. Uh, or if you want to uh, get information on their upcoming shows, you can go to lowriderexperience.com and register for our Scottsdale show or just get some tickets. Yeah, and, that's a And let's time. not forget, Mesa show's coming soon. That's it. That's we're, br- it. we're bringing yeah, we it. A lot of, a, yeah. We got a lot of things going on so and we're looking forward to seeing you guys in Scottsdale. We'll be out there and and I got to tell you this, please for all clubs locally, nationally, Ranch Nation always an open mic to help with the movement. No doubt, no pomp and circumstance. You call me a day before, hey Frank, I want to slide in. I got this guy, I got that guy. This is the premise of the show. It's lifestyle, it's positive movement, it's don't give up, get your paint on. Get your low low on, and that's right. what it's about. I agree. I mean, the patterns and the paint and the flake, it, it'll <laughs> never go, go, never get old. That's it. Richard, an honor to have you on. We definitely will be out there. We'll bring some uh, film gear. We'll film it up and spread the good word. Thank you so much Perfect. for hanging. Well, thank you very much. You guys have a great day, okay? Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Okay. I mean, that's what it's about. It's just positive. And I, 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 do, think, I do think there's a certain extent of, you know, Oh, that's that club. No, man, it's not like that. And he touched on about how clubs always are donating things for the community and doing community yeah, we events. Need, we need more and, of that. And I know almost every club does something through the year, so yeah. it's definitely a great thing. Check it out, lowriderexperience.com. We'd love to see you out in Scottsdale. What's the date again? October 2nd. We'll be out there, family. And as I tell you every week, man, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug them again. Oh, oh, oh.